Amen. Well, it is my prayer this morning as we come to this passage, particularly verses 13 to verse 16. It is my prayer that the Lord would use the picture that Paul presents to us here in Ephesians 4 to, I don't want to say radically transform, but we need to be radically transformed by the renewal of our minds through the word that God would radically transform our perspective on what it means to be a church and what it means to be a church member within that local church. For some of us, this might be just a, a, a gentle reminder. For some of us, this might be not be nothing, uh, anything new. But for others of us, this might be a shock to understand what the Bible uh, teaches us about church membership what it means to be a, a, a member of the local body. The context of these verses is important. Where we left off last week, we considered that Christ gives gifts to men. That's there from verse 7. But at the end, we considered particularly that Christ also gives gifts to the church in certain men. Some of them are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and others, pastors and teachers. And we saw how the, the picture being painted there is that pastors are a, a special gift on the part of God to the church for a particular reason. So that, as we read there in verse 12, so that the saints of that church would be equipped for the work of ministry. And that's where we left off, that we all, as church members, have a, a ministry. We are all ministers. Uh, granted, not ministers in the sense that, uh, not, uh, not ministers of the word from the pulpit, as we use it these days as well, but we are all ministers in the body of Christ. We all have a ministry to perform because we all have been given gifts by God, graces and gifts by God to bless and to further and to edify the local body. God did not design the church for, uh, for the pastors to, to, to become the, the, the main uh, person, the, the, the most important figure. God did not design the church for the pastors to do all the work. If this church had 30 pastors, 30 elders, 50 elders, 100 elders, if this church had a thousand deacons and nothing else was done beside, uh, apart from what those elders and those deacons did, if all that the rest of the membership did was to, to, to idle, idly uh, stand and listen to the preaching, this church would be very unbalanced and very immature, no matter how great the rest of it was. Because the point that Paul makes here in Ephesians is that pastors are given to the church to equip them so that they do the work in their lives. The role of pastors is to bring you to the food as a shepherd brings a sh the sheep to the, to the, to the green pastures. Uh, to bring you to the food, your role as a church member, as a Christian in a church, is to be fed, to assimilate that food, to be strengthened by that food, and to, pour, and to work in light of that strength that you have received. That's the point here. And that's the point that I want to emphasize right at the beginning before we come to, to, the, to this, these verses. That's the context. 
If you're a member of this church, if you're a member of Ridley Hall Evangelical Church, you have a task unfinished. You have a role to play. So it's to reason that when the church does not function in the way that God designed it to function, if you're a church member who doesn't perform your roles, if you're a church member who doesn't exercise your gifts and graces, it stands to reason that therefore the church is struggling, that the church, the body, cannot develop or grow uh, fully. Just like in the body, our physical bodies, if a member of our bodies doesn't develop, if a member of our bodies doesn't do its, its role, the body is lame. If a foot doesn't walk uh, properly, or doesn't, uh, if the foot doesn't, joints do not work properly, you're lame. If your arm doesn't uh, perform its duty, you're not going to ask of your leg to do the work of, a, of an arm. It might well do it, but it won't do it as it's supposed to. The body struggles. And that's the points, that, those points that we've been considering up until now. Firstly, a couple of weeks ago, we considered the unity of the church. And when Paul says that we are to be united, that we are to have walk, uh, we are to walk worthy of our calling, with which we were called by being united in the in the unity of the spirit, in the bond of peace. And then last week we considered the diversity. The fact that we are one doesn't mean that we are all the same. Doesn't mean that we are uh, that, that church members come through this door and go out the other way like a, an assembly line uh, in an industrial factory. We, we don't all look the same. We have different gifts. We have different uh, uh, ministries. We have different goals, uh, or we have different ways of uh, of working towards the same goal. But today we will look finally at the growth of the church. It is the goal of every church to grow. But as we see here, growth is not necessarily how the world understands it. The growth of the church looks different from what the world perceives as growth. And what we see is that unity is absolutely essential for the church to grow. That's what we will be seeing today. And the evidence for that growth is seen in the unity in four aspects. And we'll look at those four aspects um, in, uh, in succession. Number one, spiritual maturity. Number two, spiritual stability. Number three, spiritual love. And number four, spiritual cooperation. So firstly, spiritual maturity. Unity tends to growth and growth demonstrates itself in spiritual maturity. What is the goal of this church? If I were to ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to reply back, but if I were to ask you what is the goal of a local church, what would you say is the goal? What would you say is the goal that we're all working towards here? If we take the words of Paul, the goal of the church is to grow spiritually so that each of us becomes more and more like Christ. Look at how Paul expresses it. Verse 13, till we all come, again, remember that this is in the context of pastors having been given to the church to equip them for the work of ministry. And then Paul says, till we all come 
to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the goal. Till we all come to that, to that spiritual maturity, to that Christ-likeness. Perhaps that's the best way of expressing it. Christ-likeness is our goal. Till we all are made, as Paul says to the, to the Romans in chapter 8, till we all are conformed to the image of the Son. The goal is not that the church should have X amount of membership. That's not the end goal. The goal is not that the church should uh, have hold massive uh, conferences. Or the, ch the goal of the church is not that we should have... Uh, 50,000 ministries that keep everybody super busy uh, within the church uh, uh, tent. That's not the goal. However good some of those things are, however desirable some of those things are, that's not the end goal. Our goal is to grow spiritually. Christ to be our image and our pattern, to be our example and our goal. He is our standard. He is our aim. And he is our strength. And our goal is to imitate him. And perhaps you think, oh, yeah, that's lowering the standards. That is uh, setting expectations low. No, it's not. To be Christ-like, it's the highest goal that we can have. Be you perfect just like your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard that we aim at. That's the goal of the church. To be made to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's not a, 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 a low standard or a low goal to have. That's the highest of goals. The goal for us as a church, individually and as a congregation, is to be Christ-like, to be made by Christ himself, because he lives in us. And the picture that Paul gives us is that of maturity. That's what he says there, to we'll all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. The word perfect there is a word that is often translated as a mature man in other passages. We'll look at it in a moment. But how do we become perfect um, to come to this in the, in the context of unity? How do we all come to this in the context of the local church? Paul says it. It's by coming to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Every church needs to come to that. That's the goal that we aim at as a church, unity of the faith. We believe the same things. We confess the same things. Every church, in a broad sense, needs to be confessional. We need to confess the same Lord, the same faith, the same baptism. Now, we are a confessional church in, the, in, the, in both, I hope, in the broad sense and in the strict sense. We do have a confession of faith, but that's not what Paul is speaking about here. It's, he's talking about we believe the same faith. We believe in the same Savior. We must endeavor to walk under that same confession of faith. If a church's unity is based on anything else, that church is, is setting up themselves to fail. I don't like to talk about other churches, but I'll use a broad example but here. But churches that are uh, ethnically, culturally segregated, you see that with uh, language. 
some, especially in, a, in a, a big city like London, some churches will come together uh, on the basis of their foreign language, or some churches will come together on, on the basis of the, their nationality. They're churches, uh, don't get me wrong, but that's setting themselves up to failure, because the thing that actually brings them together is not the unity of faith, it's not really the, the, the one savior, it's their shared identity as citizens of another country or as uh, speakers of another language or perhaps a, a ethnicity as well. That's not what should bring us together. Ethnically segregated churches are set themselves up for failure in this. We need to be united in the faith. Which also tells us that without faith you cannot have unity. Without faith, you cannot have unity. If you're only united as a church because we, we, we have sympathy for one another, because we believe, because we, we, we like the same things, because there is a, a other shared goals, uh, if, that's what unites us, if that's what unites us, then we're no different from any uh, association or, or, or fellowship club in, in the world. The unity, the, the source of our unity is what Christ has done for us. We have the same head. We have the same savior. That's what unites us. But unity for, for Paul doesn't only just concern faith. It also concerns knowledge. Faith, unity of faith and knowledge of the son of God. Unity depends not only on not what you believe and confess as a body, uh, or what we confess as a body, unity depends as well on the knowledge of the Son of God. All of us have a responsibility as church members to grow in that knowledge, to read our Bibles, to study our, 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 the Word of God, to, to make a, a, an effort to be more knowledgeable. No one is excluded from this. No one is excluded, and no one can exclude themselves from this. It is our mutual responsibility. And again, this connects to the, to the fact that pastors are given to the church. Pastors and teachers are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry that they may come to a unity of faith, or till they all come to a unity of faith, into a knowledge of the Son of God. That is our shared goal. Once again, the, the, the task of pastors is to lead the flock to the unity and the full knowledge of Christ. And how can this be a, a, a achieved, brothers and sisters? How can we have this, this if we don't have appreciation for the word of God? Both and when it is preached on the Lord's Day, both morning and evening, both morning and evening, and as well throughout the week in our homes. In the Bible, we, 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 how many times you pick up the Bible to read it? The point here being that if you, when you read your Bible, when you study the Word of God, when you exercise your God-given mental faculties to, to understand more of the Word of God, you're not just doing a favor to yourself. You're actually working in, in a way that will benefit the whole of the church because then your mind is filled with, with the things of God and then you can use that knowledge for the good of the rest of the saints. And the point is that 
we then become a perfect man, or then we grow to that perfect man. We, we, we all we are going in that direction. Perfect man here, again, is not um, moral perfection. It is about uh, maturity. Paul uses this same language, and it's better translated there, I would argue, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 6. We are speaking, he says, to, of wisdom among those who are mature. Exactly the same wording. It's about maturity. Or the author of Hebrews uses a similar word in Hebrews 5, verse 14. He says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Again, the same word here as perfect or as mature in Corinthians. The point that Paul is making is that there are such a thing as children. There are such a thing as immature men and women. But that's not where we want to stay if we are in that, if we are in that category. We want to grow. We want to go to the perfect man. And the perfect man that is our, to that mature man that is our standard, that is our aim and our, and our, our ultimate goal is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is what Paul asks of us in the context of uni unity in the church and growth. That's what the Spirit asks of us. And brothers and sisters, there is a danger for us here, particularly to us of an older congregation. We have some younger people, but let's be honest. As you grow older, the tendency is for us to become a little bit more laxed with these things. The danger for older congregations like ours, the older, as you get older, is not to push yourself, to grow in the knowledge to, to preserve and to nourish that unity of the faith with the saints, to become more and more Christ-like. That's for the younger people. That's for them to do. It's not really for me. But brothers and sisters, this is for all of us. This is for all of us. There is a danger, and it does happen, if we don't guard against it, of losing that desire, that delight in, in knowing Christ more and better, where we just go into idle, like a, a, a car with a, its engine running, but it, it's going nowhere. That's the danger for us. Because brothers and sisters, that's what immaturity looks like. And my question to you, well, the question you should ask yourself is, am I being immature? We all like to think of ourselves as being mature Christians, especially those of us who have been Christians for more than five years or for more than a couple of years. I'm a mature Christian, but are you? Well, one of the ways that you see it is, that, does that play out in your life? Are you becoming more and more Christ-like? Or is your life just the same? Is your uh, Christ-likeness just the same as it was 10, 15, 20 years ago? Are you not growing? If you're not growing, I see no reason why you should call yourself a mature Christian. It's a childlike behavior. We should push ourselves to grow by using the ordinary means of grace that God has given us, the preaching of his word, his word. The point of theology, the point of knowledge is to drive us towards Christ-likeness is to drive us to holiness of life, 
the more we know Christ, the more we understand, the more we, we uh, and, uh, see how he acts and how he, uh, how he acted and his character, the more that character should rub off on us and we want to be more like him. Robert Murray McChain, he once very craftily and very helpfully said, as a pastor, my, gra my people's greatest need is for my own personal holiness. That's, this was him speaking of himself. My, uh, that his people, my people's greatest need, he said, is my own personal holiness. And I, I think he's very clever and he's, he's right. But this applies to us all, brothers and sisters, not just to the pastor, not just to the elders, not just to the, the men who are church officers. This is applies to every church member. The, the church's greatest need is your own personal holiness. Because as you become more holy, as you become more Christ-like, you will be a, 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 an example to your brethren. And we see that this becomes almost an overarching theme, this first point, in the second, third, and fourth point. How does that display itself? That's number one. But number two, it demonstrates itself in spiritual stability. Verse 14, Paul says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by, with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Paul says that we, are to be that we are not to be childlike in this regard. Now, of course, there are other places that say that we need to be like children. We are to be like children in our humility, in our dependence upon God, the Father, for everything. We are to be like children. But we are not to be like children in our um, ignorance. We are not to be like children in our instability, we are not to be like children in, our, in, in every other regard. Yes, in humility, in understanding our place within the relationship between us and God and our dependence upon God, we are to be childlike. We have to have that childlike faith. But in everything else, we are to be mature. Because children, we all understand this. If you've been a parent, you understand it better than anyone. But at least you've been a child once in your life and you hopefully understand this about your own life, that children are unstable. Children do not know what's better for them. That's a reality. That's why we don't let children drive cars. That's why we don't let children vote. That's why we don't let children drink alcohol for other reasons as well. That's very unhealthy for them. But that's why we are so careful about the things we allow children to do or not, because we understand that children have not yet developed everything properly, have not yet developed a, a, a correct view of, uh, of life, and they are not, not to be allowed to do certain things. That's, that's, that used to be a, an absolute truth. We now allow children to make some really drastic decisions, permanent decisions in their life, life-altering surgeries and therapies because we, we think that they can, or some think that they can choose their own gender. But the, the reality is that children are unstable, but we are not to be that unstable. We have to have that spiritual stability. A mature believer is not tossed to and fro at every single corner of their lives. A mature believer uh, is not swept away by, by the recent fad or uh, that it has swept into the, to the market of faith. 
novelties. They come in and they go. And people are swept by them. But when they're swept by them, they are immature. Because this week it's one thing, the next week becomes another. Like chewing gum, you put it in your mouth, you chew it, and it becomes tasteless after a few moments. You put it away and you, you get another one. That's the idea here. But God, through his word, by, through his spirit, he encourages us to be mature. To, to stop being unstable. To not be like children. Some of us, brothers and sisters, we suffer from that problem, don't we? Some of us, we suffer from that problem. Peter Pan syndrome. We get converted, but we never actually grow anymore. We're forever in, uh, as they call, Neverland. We're forever in that place. In fact, in, um, in, um, in medical terms, there is a, a, a disease or there is an umbrella term for several diseases that affect uh, infants. It's called FTT, failure to thrive. FTT, failure to thrive, is when a child, for one reason or the other, uh, uh, has uh, failed to gain weight, failed to, to, to grow, uh, uh, and doctors will say that it's FTT, or he's, he suffers from FTT. In spiritual terms, we may also suffer from FTT, failure to thrive, failure to grow. We get converted, we have a little bit of growth here and there, but all of a sudden, no more growth for years on end. And that demonstrates itself by spiritual instability, whether in doctrine, as Paul here is emphasizing clearly, whether in other things. One week, you're, 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 a, you're a wonderful, uh, full with joy of the Lord, and the next week, you're just crash down. The following week, you're all again. It's like that spiritual instability. That's, that demonstrates immaturity. And that demonstrates itself with, with theological things as well. Doctrines. That nasty word, doctrine, that, that we sometimes think is so intellectual. But no, we, doctrine is important. The reality is when we convert to brothers and sisters, we, we begin... For us, it's the beginning of the road. Conversion is not the end goal. Conversion is when God begins the good work, as Paul says to the Philippians. God begins the good work. That good work must, needs to continue. He who begins the good work, he is faithful and just to complete it, to make it perfect until the day of Christ Jesus. But it is a necessity that we continue growing. We're not a finished work. But we should not be like children. We need to root ourselves in the word of God. Whereas the roots for us, if you think of a tree, the roots for us are, 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 are is the word of God. You know when, when, a, when a tree gets blown away, some, some of you understand this better than others, but a, a tree gets blown away if, if it's an immature tree, if it's uh, a, a tree that or perhaps some rot has gotten into it, but the roots are no longer there. A mature tree, a healthy tree, has roots deep down, and it doesn't get blown away by, by any wind. And we as Christians, we're like those trees. In fact, that's the image that, that the psalmist presents to us in the first psalm. 
Blessed is the man who, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he uses a picture. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff in the wind. The wind drives away. If we want to be growing, maturing as Christians, we need to be more spiritually stable. And that's what we get in, as we come to the to the third point or that we get a picture of that as we come to the third point this is the second mark of growth in the church now the third mark of growth in the church let's read verse 13 or not verse 13 verse 15 but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ now let me ask you a question be honest with yourself what is more important to you to be truthful or to be loving? Or, let me ask it in another way. What is more important to God? Is it to be truthful or to be loving? Now, if you reply that the most important thing is to be truthful, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because it is not the most important thing. If you answer that the true, to speak truth is more important, you're wrong. Because speaking truth without love is hypocrisy. Speaking truth, especially in the context of church unity, without love is brutality. It's Phariseeism. That's what far the Pharisees did. They loved to speak the truth, or their own truth. But they had no love in them. But also, if you said, oh, the most important thing is to love, you're also wrong. Because true love speaks truth. Because love without being truthful is, again, hypocrisy as well. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And that's, a, and that's the point that Paul makes here. True growth True spiritual maturity displays both. You speak the truth and you speak it in love. Someone who is mature knows how to speak the truth in love, gently. Listen to how Paul describes to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. He says, Brothers, brethren, if a man is overtaking in any trespass, if a brother sins, that's what Paul is saying. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, if your brother sins, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. First of all, Paul is not speaking these things to the pastor of, of the church in Galatia. He's speaking to the church of Galatia. That's the responsibility of the church. If a brother sins, if a man sins... You who are spiritual, the spiritual ones, go and restore such a one with, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And that's when that very famous verse, that very familiar verse, that wonderful verse comes in. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Spirit of gentleness. You go. 
You, if you're loving, you're not going to see your brother in sin and allow him to, to, to remain in sin. Love commands you to go and to speak with him, but you go and speak to him, not to put him down, not to, uh, to, to bash him over the head. You go to restore him. That's, what, that's the point here. Truth and unity are together, are, are interlinked. And truth and love are interlinked as well. And again, here, I must say, only children cannot handle the balance between truth and love. It's children that go from, from being all loving to being all filled with anger in, in, a, in a second. Again, we go back to the words of Paul right at the beginning. I beseech you, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness. The word there for gentleness, if you remember from two weeks ago, is the word for meekness. For that, it's that word that represents self-control. A meek person is not a weak person. A meek person is a strong person who is in control of his emotions, who doesn't explode easily, just like our Lord. It's someone who is able to control and humility, because it's someone, or lowliness, because it's someone, as Paul says to the Galatians, someone who knows himself to be nothing. You go to your brother, not because you're better than him. You go to your brother because you see him sin and you want to restore him for his sake. Not so you can have, get one over him. We're better, brothers and sisters. Again, we come to Christ's likeness. Where better do we see Truth and love married together that on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the Lord shows us how to be truthful and loving at the same time. And he did so without even speaking at times. On the cross, on Calvary. Because if we're not united, as we've considered in the last few weeks, and if we don't act towards one another in truth and love, there is a, a cancer in the, within this church. There is a cancer within the body. There is an infirmity within the body. And infirmities will come. Just like in our physical bodies, viruses come in, uh, tumors come in. Uh, but we have a cure. We have a cure. When these things come in, the cure is truth, speaking truth in love. That's the antidote, that's the vaccine that Paul gives us. The question is, what is truth? Well, again, it connects us to, to the work of the pastors and teachers. The pastors and teachers, in as much as they're being faithful to the word and applying the word correctly, they are teaching you the truth. They're equipping you, the saints, to perform this work of speaking the truth in love to one another. We need to be very careful that we marry those things up as much as possible as for the, in the best of our ability. Because you're either a, a pharisaical brute if you only say the truth with no love, or you're a hypocrite because if you don't go and speak to your brother because you, you love him. That's not true love. What God expects of us is the presence of both in the membership, in the, in the body, why? Because Christ is the head. He is the, the one 
who guides us, who nourishes us, that we may grow in all things. Again, this language of growth. Then Paul goes on to say, and that's our fourth point, from whom, whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's the fourth point, cooperation. You cannot be a Christian, a mature, healthy Christian, and not be in cooperation with your brothers and sisters. We're joined, knit together by what every joint supplies. To be a local church, to be a, a representation, a, a local representation of the body of Christ is to be knit together, to be joined together by what every joint supplies, not what, by what the pastors or the elders supply, but by what every joint supplies, what every member supplies. I'll quote from the Confession of 1689 here. Saints by profession are obligated to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in worshiping God and in performing other spiritual service that promote their mutual edification. Hebrews, here, chapter 3, speaks of this as well. Beware, brethren, lest there be any, uh, in, that lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Again, what is the role of, of the church? What is the role of each member? This is not being spoken in Hebrews to the, to the church leaders. It's being spoken to all of us to the whole congregation. The role is to exhort one another daily while it is called today. And anyone who fails to live to this, who, who fails to, to live according to this, is failing to live ac accordingly to God's will. And it is a sin to not live according to God's will. If you're not exercising, exhorting your brothers and sisters daily, again, we come back to the... To the to the beginning or to the, to the middle part of this section. God has given you gifts. God has uh, gifted you particularly for the, for, to exercise this gift of ministry in the body. If you don't use those gifts, you're not following God's will, you're sinning. Because there are no members in the body of Christ that are uh, insignificant or, uh, or can be ex excluded or, 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 or are unneeded we're all needed the reverse side of this brothers and sisters is if, if every one of us does its share does its part if every one of us follows god's will in our individual lives the church will grow If you feed yourself on the word, if you nourish yourself, if you uh, assimilate that word in your life, you will grow, and therefore you will cause your brothers and sisters to grow, speaking truth in love, as we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Because it's from him that we receive strength to grow.
And here we, we find that how this whole unity and growth comes together. It's through one anothering. It's all, all those one another's uh, verses in scripture, bear one another's burdens, love one another, uh, pray for one another. All of those one anotherings is what causes the growth of the body. It's what gives the body of Christ uh, firmness, a foundation, and solidifies it together. It's through the unity of each member, by what, what each joint supplies, by what every joint supplies. There is a relationship here. There is a, a relationship here that is implied, that is conveyed. We are connected. We should be connected. Some of you suffer from, from this, this kind of problem physically. When uh, you have two bones that are connected and, uh, and uh, the joint, there's, something, there's some technical name that I don't remember now, but the joint gets, gets wasted and, and worn out and then the bones start uh, grinding against each other and that's painful, that hurts. That's sometimes how we are as a church. Every joint is, is coming together but there is no oil there. I know it's not oil in the body, but there is no oil there to, to allow a smooth, frictionless uh, work. The oil, if you were to ask Paul in this kind of illustration, the oil is love. When love is absent, then the friction begins. And then it becomes painful. And then the, the member that doesn't work properly, the, and then the whole part that the member is attached to doesn't work properly and there's pain starting to grow everywhere else was had some back pain a few weeks ago and all of a sudden the pain that was hitting me here uh, the following day was hitting me here and it's, it, it was because I was tensing up on this on this part and now it, it's coming up here because the body is not really uh, handling it but that's how it works in the body and some of us are, are really good Christians up until the point that we need to, to start doing this, this one anothering. Oh, I've met brethren like this. They're really good Christians if they live in a cave somewhere as a hermit. But that, as soon as you put them in the, in the life of the church, they're, they're no longer able. But they're really good Christians. Uh, uh, but that's the thing. We need to be able to work together. It's not a default. It's not a defect. It's God's design that we would work together. That we would be well adjusted. That we would be joined together, well connected, frictionless working. But this only happens over time as one, we love one another. Peter wrote, wrote it brilliantly. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 11. But also for this very reason, he says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. Again, here the, the theme of self-control after knowledge. To self-control perseverance, stability. To perseverance godliness, Christ-likeness. To godliness brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness love. See the, the progression that Peter makes. Exactly the same progression that Paul makes here. 
as if the, the whole scripture was inspired by the same divine author. For if these things are yours and abound, Peter continues, if these things, this, this self this diligence, this virtue, uh, this knowledge, this self-control, perseverance and godliness, this brotherly kindness and love, if these things are yours and abound, Peter says, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, now my words, the words of scripture, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see the point. It's not just a point that Paul makes to the Ephesians or to the Galatians, as we've read. It's not just a point that Paul makes to the Corinthians. It is the point that scripture makes to us. Growth comes through unity. Not unity like the ecumenical unity of this, of this world. Don't mistake my words. Unity in the faith, in the knowledge of Christ the Son as we mature and grow into the image and likeness of him. That is the will of Christ. As Paul again, let me just go back to Galatians 6. As Paul again says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ here is the will of God. This is the will of God that we bear one another's burdens. Just like a body does. The legs bear the rest of the body. And if, if a foot is hurting, the hand goes and cleans up or, or, or soothes the foot. That all of it works together. The eyes look, the mouth speaks, the hands uh, handle, the feet walk. The problem with all of this, and I'll finish here, brother. The problem with all of this is that this is so difficult to measure. Sometimes you, it, it would be much easier if growth of the church would be measured in attendance. The more people that, that attend, the, the bigger the church is, the better the church is. It would be so easy if it was like that. The difficulty is that true growth, the growth that we should be longing for and praying for, the growth that we should actually be praying for more than anything else, the true growth that God wants of us individually and as a church, that true growth is so difficult to find or to, to quantify. Because the church is not, uh, is not uh, about numbers. Church is about the relationship that we have with each other and with Christ our head. That's why we need to be so very careful. And I, I fear that we've learned this lesson four years ago and we've quickly unlearned it. I'll be honest with you here. I fear like we've learned a, a valuable lesson four years ago, if we did learn it, and we quickly forgot about it. When the lockdowns came, we are no longer able to do any of our own church activities. Did the church stop? Did the church die off? Was the church in, in stasis over those four years, over those four months? 
Was it four months, March, April, June, July? Three, four months of the first lockdown. Was the church stopped? No, the church was carrying on. We weren't having worship services, that's true. But the church was still happening. And some of us, we had to learn that lesson that was very difficult. Because when we found ourselves with no activities to prop up our, 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 our spirituality, to pretend our, uh, our spirituality, we found ourselves struggling. I remember having this conversation with a, a few of us. And the lesson that I took for me for, as well was we need to be careful not to allow activity, outward activity, to replace our inward relationship with Christ, our personal growth. But it seems like sometimes we forget about it so easily. And we replace the, the relationship that we should have with Christ, our aiming towards the goal that is Christ Jesus, pressing on towards the goal that is Christ Jesus with all kinds of other goals in church life and activity. And again, here we come to the, to the ministry. Your ministry doesn't need to, is not a ministry that is necessarily church-sanctioned. It's not that, okay, uh, the pastor told me that now I'm going to do uh, this, outreach. Or the pastor now told me that I'm going to do this. I'm going to do Sunday school. And, and that's my ministry. No, your ministry is not necessarily, or most of the time, is not necessarily church-sanctioned. Your ministry is one anothering with everyone. Is living in that love of Christ with everyone. That is your primary ministry. That's why it's so horrible, on the other side, if you isolate yourself from others. If you, if you live on the fringes of the church. If you, if you don't commit yourself to being a part of the body. Words and all. That's why that is so sinful and so wrong. Because you're pulling, pulling yourself outside of what, what the church is. And what the ministry of the church is. No one in the church should be a consumer. That's not the view that Christ gives us of the church. That's not the view that scripture gives us of the church. Where you come in and just consume. You need to be more a part of the body, more united to one another. You need to grow in your knowledge of Christ because in doing so, you're not benefiting just yourself. You're benefiting the whole body. Maybe you don't have the ability to do some of these things, but God has given you an ability. God has given you graces and gifts according to the measure of his gift himself to perform this work of ministry. Go and do it. Seek his will. Study his word. Apply the word that you listen in Sunday morning and evening, week after week. Apply that word in your life. If the, oh, if the Lord would allow us to do that. If the Lord would allow that word to penetrate our hearts and, and be applied in our lives immediately after the end of this service. Immediately in, throughout this afternoon in the next week in our lives. That's the work. That's the true work of the church. To go one anothering, to go on preaching the good news, 
to the, to the unsaved and unreached world. May the Holy Spirit, may God himself help us and work in us all that we have heard, that we may grow individually and as a church as well. Amen.